Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. We're glad to be here. We're excited to be here as you continue in your study of the book of Job. And so as we do that, we find ourselves in the 10th chapter now. Job continues to state, as you know, that both the righteous and the wicked will suffer. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 10, we're going to be looking through the entire chapter. Job chapter 10. I will start reading in verse 1, and then you can follow along. Job says this, I am disgusted with my own life. I will express my complaint freely. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you condemn me, you contend with me. Is it right for you indeed to oppress to reject the words of your hands and to look favorably on the plan of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Or do you see as mankind sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal or your years like a man's year that you should search for my guilt and carefully seek my skin? According to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty yet there is no one to save me from your hand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time in our service where we look into your word, we all, Lord, have things that are going on in our lives that keep us busy. But Lord, we ask now that for the next few moments that you quiet those thoughts. You speak to our hearts, Lord, as we look into your word and we'll see the man Job. Lord, we ask now also that everything we do and say will bring honor and glory to you and to you alone. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting to me that when Job delivers this address, and it really is a continuation from chapter 9, Job finds himself sitting on top of a garbage heap after suffering the loss of his livelihood, his cattle, his sheep, his goats, and then the loss of his children, and then he lost his health. And as he sits there, we know that there are at least three people there with him, his three friends, and so he begins to give this speech in chapter 9 from a pile of ashes. Really, it's it's a garbage heap. He sits there. But we see Job is experiencing right now a spiritual crisis. And you know, each and every one of us certainly will experience a crisis like this. Now, some of us will be on a limited basis, but on others, it might be far more suffering than any of us would ever want to have. In the last several chapters, Job's friends have offered what they thought are comfort and insights into why he is suffering, but really their their advice has become like a bitter pill to him. 
in chapter 8, Bildad accused Job of blowing hot air. And so now in chapter 9, Job has mounted his defense, and he concedes that it's, it's impossible really to argue with God. And in chapter 9, verse 14, he says, how then can I answer him and choose my words before him? See, Job understands that God's in charge of both the blameless and the wicked. And now what Job longs for here in chapter 10 is a, a mediator, a go-between, someone that would put their hand on God's shoulder and put their hand on Job's shoulder and sort of bring them together. And, and Job, in his speech now, he turns towards God. He has nowhere else to go. And he asks a series of heart-wrenching questions. Why? Why am I being crushed? Why? Why, God, are you treating me so badly? Lord, did you create me just to destroy me? Just to condemn me? And if that's the case, Lord, you know, it's, it's probably better if I had never been born. Listen as Joe's complaints here in verse 1. says, I am disgusted with my own life. I will express my complaint freely. I will speak in bitterness in my soul. You see, Job at this point can no longer contain his disappointment. And he repeats what you already know as you have been studying this book. He says, I hate my life. I can't suffer like this anymore, but I can't be quiet anymore either. I got to get the truth out there. I got to tell God what I think. And so he feels compelled to speak honestly before the Lord. He feels compelled to speak openly about the situation that he's in. And at this point, he decides that I'm not going to keep this burden to myself any longer. I'm not going to hold in the pain. I'm not going to contain my sorrow anymore. I'm not going to hide or disguise or ignore my own feelings. Now, if you're honest with yourself, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we find it difficult and we doubt in the midst of our trials and sufferings. And there are those of us who are really open about it, and we let people know about it. But there are others that are not willing to talk about it, and they suffer silently. Now, I don't think Job, as we look through this book, really is one of those people who is a complainer. But it seems he's gotten to the point where he needs some relief. His friends, as you know, have offered him little or no comfort. And so Job will take the pain of his heart he will take the circumstances and he will go directly to the Lord. He speaks of the bitterness of his soul. And, and most of you understand that the term bitterness means that it's not sweet. Bitter is a lingering taste that's left in your mouth after you've been forced to eat something that you really didn't have no choice in the matter. Look at verse 2. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend with me. And so we see here he's addressing the Lord. Do not condemn me. And so here he's using a term that is used in the court. The word condemn is a judicial term. 
condemnation in the Bible is the judicial pronouncement of guilt for crimes that have been committed. He says, don't condemn me. What, what, what have I done? He goes on to say, show me why you contend with me. And again, the word contend is a legal term, which means to bring an accusation against, and it's used in a court of law. And so we can see Job imagining himself in a court, and he wants to know why. Why am I condemned? Why am I being contended here? Job is asking the why question. Job is putting the relationship with God to the test. Why, God, does your current behavior towards me run contrary to our past relationship? Job wants to know, who's changed, you or me? And so Job now challenges God to account for the apparent contradiction in his behavior. Show me, Lord, why you contend with me. Please, show me. It's his way of saying, hey, look, Lord, everything's been really good up until now. I, had a, I have a great marriage. I, I had a beautiful family. I had a great life. I had a wonderful business. How am I to understand this sudden change in fortune and difficulty? God, why? And so Job is now challenging God to account for this. Job is thinking to himself, I haven't changed. My heart hasn't changed. I still believe in you, God. I still love you, God. I still want to honor you, God. Now, before we go on, we must remember something. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, probably one of the first ones written. There was no place else for Job to go to. He couldn't turn to the pages of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to see how the Lord works. He didn't have wonderful hymns that he could sing. There was nothing. It was just Job. Job doesn't have the benefit of the revelation of Scripture. Job doesn't have a list of all the benefits given in the Bible, of all the promises during suffering that God will always be there. He doesn't have the book of Psalms to comfort him. He doesn't have any place to go to see all the promises that you and I have in our hands in front of us today. He can't go there. And so Job really believed that the guilty suffer and the innocent don't suffer. He had no other point of reference. Job's friends believed in a kind of God who, in the most general of ways possible, rewards those people who are good and punishes those people who are evil or wicked. Now, Job, I think, is beginning to understand that maybe what all these people are thinking about God may be true. Maybe God does reward everyone who is, or maybe God doesn't reward everyone who is faithful, and maybe he doesn't always punish those who are evil or wicked. It, it may be true. And so God, Job is having a crisis in his life now, a spiritual crisis, but Job still wants to know why does he, of all people, merit this suffering? He wants to know exactly why there are changes now in my relationship with God. And so in verse 3, he says this, Is it right for you indeed to oppress, 
to reject the words of your hands and to look favorably on the plan of the wicked? And so Job here is basically accusing God of oppression and of rejecting his creation and looking favorable on the people that are wicked. And so as I said, Job feels condemned. He feels abandoned. He feels like God doesn't care for him. He feels like God cares more for the wicked than for those that are faithful. And if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes we feel that same way. Lord, it looks to me like you treat people outside the church, outside the family of God, uh, outside of those who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. It seems to me that sometimes you treat those people better. Look at them. They're rich. They're popular. They have everything they want. Why? Job wants to know. Look at verse 4. He goes on. He says, do you see as mankind sees? Now remember, Job knows perfectly well that God isn't human. Job knows perfectly well that God doesn't see things unjustly or unfairly or imperfectly. And so he asks, why do you have eyes like flesh? The idea is, Lord, do you see how people see me now? Do you understand things, Lord, from the human perspective, how I'm being treated? But I think Job in his heart knows that that isn't true. Look at verse 5. Are your days like the days of a mortal? Or your years like a man's years? What are the days of mortal man? Well, as mortal men, we all know we have what? A beginning, we have a middle, and then we have an end. But God doesn't have that. Job knows that's not true. God doesn't have a beginning, middle, or end. Verse 6, that you should search out my guilt and carefully seek my sin? And so Job is saying, you know, you're not mortal man. You are God. And it seems as if you're (coughs) searching for my guilt, searching for my sin. And Job asks the question then, why, Lord, does it seem like you're looking for a reason to accuse me? Why are you looking for a reason to condemn me? Why are you looking for a reason to find fault with me? Verse 7, according to your knowledge, Lord, I am indeed not guilty. Yet, there is no one to save me from your hand. God, you know that I'm not wicked. But there's no one, there's no one I can turn to who can deliver me from your hand, Lord. In other words, Job is once again affirming that I'm innocent. And he's also beginning to wonder, Lord, when is this going to end? He knows that he's innocent. And he's just wondering, why, Lord, have you condemned me? He's wondering if the Lord who sees perfectly, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to want to save me. Lord, you know everything from the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if you don't save me, Lord, who will? See, Job understands that once God decides to do something, there's nothing going to stop God. And since God alone has the ability and the authority to help, it seems as if he's not going to use that ability 
or use that authority to help me. Job is wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do now? Remember, Numbers 23, 19 hasn't been written. God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. God, I know that you're not a human being. I understand that you don't act according to the constraints of the limitations of being a human being. And so now Job has presented his case, and he's going to ask the Lord some probing questions, starting in verse 8. Am I in verse 8? Yes, there I am. All right. Your hands fashioned and made me altogether, yet would you destroy me? Your hands fashioned me. You made me altogether. Now you're going to destroy me? You created me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Job knew that God was the creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. Job knew that. Colossians 1.16, Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. We understand that. We know that. Job understood that as well. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made that has ever been made came into existence because God is the creator. Job knew that, but Job is wrestling with the question, Lord, I know you created me, and I know that you created me in an amazing way, so why in the world would you create me simply to destroy me? Fair question. People have asked that question throughout all of history when there are suffering going on. Why? Why, Lord? Why me? And so Job is wrestling with the question, it doesn't make sense to me why, Lord, you create people only to allow them to be destroyed. He goes on in verse 9, remember, you have made me as clay, yet would you turn me into dust again? Do you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and intertwine me with bones and tendons. And so what Job is using here is some poetic illustrations and says, God, and you all know this, God, you're the, you're the potter, and I'm just the clay. All right, we get that from Isaiah 64 and Jeremiah 18. Same thing. Lord, you're the potter. You designed me. You created me. You fashioned me with your own hands. I'm just the clay. He goes on to describe Job. God as someone who pours out milk, fresh milk, until it curdles, it becomes cheese. Lord, you, you, you did that. You, you created. But he also describes the Lord as a tailor, someone who intertwined him with skin and flesh and put his bones together, put all of his nerves and muscles together. Lord, you're the great creator. What's going on here? Look at verse 12. You have granted me life and goodness. Job knows that God is a creator and he owns, he owes his existence, he owes his life to the Lord. You cared for me. You guarded my spirit. You made me, Lord. You gave me a spirit. You preserved me. You gave me life. You gave me favor. I'm just trying to understand, Lord, why, why would you do all that? 
just to take it away. Verse 13 says, you have concealed these things in your heart. I know that this is within you. It's Job way of saying, <coughs> everything about me exists because you allowed me to exist. You know everything, Lord, about everything. And if I sin, he says in verse 14, if I have sinned, you will take note of me. You'll, you'll write it down. You will not acquit me of my guilt. I, I know if I've sinned, you will punish me. And if I am wicked, woe to me. But if I am righteous, he goes on to say, I dare not lift up my head. I am full of shame and my conscience uh, and conscious of my misery. What Job is saying here is, Lord, if I do everything right, I suffer. And if I did everything wrong, I suffer. And to Job, that just didn't make any sense to him. As I said, Job has come to the end of his rope. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He's in misery. He's suffering. He's lost everything. Look at verse 16. And should my head be high, you would hunt me like a lion, and you would show your power against me again. You renew your witness against me and increase your anger towards me. Hardship after hardship is with me. In other words, Lord, in the midst of all this pain and all this suffering, if I just had one little chance, one little chance to be relieved of it, to come up for air, lift my head up and get a breath of fresh air, even just for a little bit, Lord, it seems that you would hunt me down like a fierce lion. It says in verse 17, you renew your witness against me. Think back to the beginning of Job. What did Job do every day? He would get up early in the morning. He would seek the Lord. He would offer a sacrifice, not only for himself, but for his children in case they did something wrong. And now he says, Lord, you, you've increased your anger towards me. It's nothing but hardship after hardship after hardship. Why? Why then did you bring me out of the womb, verse 18? For, I have for only if I had died and no eyes had seen me. Job is saying, why didn't I just simply die in my mother's belly? It would have been better. No one would have ever seen me. Why did you bring me out of the womb for this? Why am I alive? Why did you spare my life? Why, Lord, did you allow me to live? Why didn't you just let me die in my mother's womb? I would have been better off. He says in verse 19, I should have been as though I had not been brought from the womb to the tomb. I wish I had never been. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good movie. All right? George Bailey, remember him? All right, It's a Wonderful Life. Lord, I'm going through this troublesome time. 
it would have been better if I wasn't even alive. And good old Clarence said, all right, we can do that. And for the rest of the movie, it was as if he was never alive. And he sees the things that would have happened if he wasn't there. With Job, same thing. If Job wasn't alive, we would not have this book. We'd not be able to learn from his experience. And so he's asking the Lord, why? Why? The whole world would be better off without me, Lord. Look at verse 20. Would he not leave my few days alone? Withdraw from me so that I may have a little cheerfulness. Lord, just step back. Give me a little bit of happiness. Just not a lot. Just a little bit. Is it possible, Lord, for you to give me a moment of cheerfulness just before I die? Just let me have some good things going on in my life. And then I'll I'll be ready to die. Now, another thing we have to note here, and we can see that this is probably one of the most painful parts of this passage, and it's the fact that God is silent. God doesn't answer any of these questions. Job is just looking for a little bit of hope. And one of the things that makes this passage so difficult and so hard is because Job doesn't seem to hear anything from God. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It's a question that man has asked. So Job is asking the question, Lord, you created me. Why did you even create me? Why did you bother to go through all that if all you're going to do is destroy me, why didn't you just let me die? Lord, once I was the object of your care. You watched over me. You blessed me. And, and now, Lord, I've become the object of your destruction. He says, no offense, Lord, but could you please explain that? to me. And there was silence. The Lord said nothing to him. Verse 21, he says, could you do it, Lord? Could you just do all that? Give me a little bit of a message. Could you give me just a little bit of fresh air to breathe? Could you give me just a little bit of happiness, verse 21, before I go, just before I die? That's all I'm asking, Lord just a little bit of relief. And I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep sorrow, the land of utter gloom like darkness itself, of deep shadow without order. It shines like darkness. He's given up. Lord, I'm done. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why you're not talking to me. You see, Job could not understand what God was doing. But we have insight We have Job chapters one and two, don't we? We know that God was using Job as a weapon to defeat Satan. Now, we can look back and criticize Job and say all these things about him, but we have to realize that 
You know, we ask those same questions that Job is asking. All right, why, Lord? Why did the little baby die? We ask that question. Why did that young teen, so promising, so much in love with you, Lord, went to Bible college, was ready to go in the mission field, and was killed in a car accident? Why, why, Lord? So we question why, too. We do the exact same thing. We say the exact same thing. Lord, I don't understand what's going on. Please explain it to me. But you see, even without the knowledge that we have, the Word of God, Job refused to give up his belief about God. He refused to give up his belief about the wisdom of God, the creation of God. He was all there. He knew that God cared for him. He knew God would speak to him. He knew that God would sustain him. But he has come to a place now where he thinks, okay, God, you blessed me. And God, you took everything away from me. And now, Lord, it's time for you to take my life. I'm, I'm done. What else can I do? But Lord, can you do me one, just one tiny favor? Can you explain to me why it happened? Just, just a little bit. And so the question always becomes, well, what can we take away from this passage? Well, I think there's a few things we can do. Simply this, this is probably the easiest one, is only God can be trusted. Only God can be trusted. When our safety net is gone, when all of our wealth is gone, when our family is gone, and when everything that we hold dearly has gone, there is a true and living God that we can trust. Even when God's dealing with us seems very confusing, very mysterious, like Job, we have to realize that God is sovereign. Now, Job's loving wife said, you know what, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? His friends condemned him, yet Job passed the test. And instead of searching for hope in all the wrong places, Job still, in spite of all of his suffering, in spite of all the pain he was going through, in spite of all the disappointments that he had, he put his trust in the Lord. He went to God. He put his faith in God. Now make no mistake about it, we have what Job didn't have. We have a clear vision of a God who loves us who loves us so much he sent his son to die in our place. And that sustains us. Job tells us that even when we strain to hear the voice of the Lord, when we are discouraged, when we are at the end of our rope, we know the Lord hasn't forgotten about us. And I think Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it best. It's a shame Job didn't have this, but this is for us. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. No matter what you are going through, 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the next part is probably the toughest. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. Job was trying to understand this. God was silent. Job, trust me. Lean not on your own understanding. And I could add here, lean not on the own understanding of your friends too because they didn't understand what was going on. In all thy ways, through the good, through the bad, through the ugly, whatever it may be that you're going through, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge God as the creator, as the sustainer. Put your faith, put your trust in God. And look at the next thing it says. He will guide your ways. God hasn't given up on you. God did not give up on Job. We see at the very end, when God puts Job back into his place, I don't want to jump ahead and get, tell you how the book ends, but anyway, when God puts Job in his place, Job is blessed by God, and he gets a new family. He gets new riches, was exceeded the beginning. And I think as we look at this passage and we say, you know, he had three friends there watching. His wife might have been around listening, but I think all of heaven was watching. This is the first time God and Satan really had a bout between each other. Satan came up and accusing Job of only worshiping God because God was so good to him. And God says, watch this. You go ahead and do your worst to him. I think the heavenly hosts were watching how Job was going to react. I think the demons were watching as well. All right, Satan's got him now. All right, he's lost his family, he's lost his wealth, he's lost everything. Satan got him now. So I think they're watching this all unfold. And Job, in all that misery, he turned to God. He put his trust in God. He could go nowhere else. And even though God did not respond to him, did not answer him, Job continued to put his faith and trust in God and God alone. And so when we go through difficult times, I don't think we're going to have a difficult time like Job did, but it'll be difficult for us. The bottom line is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will guide your ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Job. Job is a great study here, Lord, and we see how we as humans look towards each other for help and direction and understanding. But Job, Lord, pleaded his case before you, and he never gave up. He didn't listen to the advice of his friends. He didn't listen to the, wife, the, advice, of, or the advice of his wife to curse you and just die. No, he put his faith and trust in you, and he knew that even though he was suffering now, Lord, he knew that one day if if, he, if he, his life had ended, that he would be with you. He might not have understood why. And when we go through difficult times, Lord, we might not understand why, but your word tells us to put our faith and trust in you and you alone, and you will guide our ways. Whether you take us home or whether you bring us through it, you will guide our ways. And so, Lord, help us to do that. We find it difficult at times to put our complete trust and faith in you. But Lord, you are faithful, you are true, and you are just. 
and we thank you for that. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.